Welcome to the pod, Hayden Winks of Underdog Fantasy. You can follow him on Twitter at Hayden Winks. Actually, I'm looking on Twitter here. Not only are you a, a blue check, um, Elon worshiper, clearly, but yes. also you guys have the special like little underdog thing next to that. I, I think that actually looks pretty cool, but I don't even know what, what, what the temperature is right now with everyone thinking about these things. If you hover over my little check mark, it says that I'm an affiliate of Underdog Fantasy and that the Underdog Fantasy is an affiliate with Twitter. So uh, thankfully, I don't pay for this, but Elon, you can take our Underdog bucks, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> the whole the whole conversation around this stuff. I have a check, too, only because I thought maybe it would be useful or not. And, you right. know, if Elon has $100 billion or $80 billion, whatever, no, you know, no sweat off of my back. I will um, say with, with Twitter, there was like no innovation on the site for so long. Like if Elon can actually get like we're podcasting and like long form writing and long form video up to snuff with some of these other competition, like that would be a massive win for everybody. I feel like so much of uh, sports and fantasy sports is on Twitter, but we all have to go elsewhere for a- actual like working. So if, th- if they can tie that together, that'd be a win. Yeah, I mean, the problem I think is, and again, we're, we're a little sidetracked early, but they'll stick stick to sports, I'm sure. We'll get a few comments on that. But um, I do think there is, like, this natural resistance to anything changing. I mean, if we even look way back, whenever it was, years ago, when it switched to 280 characters for 140, I was people were like, ah, 280 characters. Mm-hmm. Like, now does anyone care at right. all about the fact that we're not getting it slightly more compact? The other day, I sent out maybe one of the first of my tweets where it went longer. Yep. And the only reason I don't like doing it is because if it just displayed the whole thing or if it displayed yep. a lot of it, but now it doesn't display anything that goes beyond. And having to see that and click, it is a bit burdensome. Hopefully they change that and then maybe they give you a leeway to like, 500 mm-hmm. characters or something yep. before you have to click the thing um but again people were complaining about that <laughs> you're complaining Everything. about that they're like do a thread don't do this and i was like no i'm not getting into the thread game yeah the thread game's too much but yeah i, I think that they're you're able to post long form videos on there now which is yeah. brand new so maybe that could be like a big game changer for the entire industry. yeah yeah that's good and i think generally whatever it, like philosophically i'm for or i'm against kind of like advertising based incentives and all that sort of stuff now this is like a drop in the bucket compared to what these 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 uh platforms make on advertising but you know if anything can be worked in that direction maybe we can get out of uh the engagement enragement game although you know that, that's what most people are there for so maybe <laughs> maybe not so much all right let's get into our secondary topic here that was our first topic <laughs> i'm glad we got that out of the way secondary topic this thing the nfl draft happened not not too long ago uh hopefully people enjoyed that going in uh, maybe first I'll ask, uh, I guess there probably is no like underdog physical headquarters here, but in the underdog virtual headquarters, was there a lot of mourning going on uh, post-draft for the mocks that were just left way laced to, uh, way <laughs> laid waste to, yes. if I can say that correctly, easy for me to say, um, right after the first few picks of this draft? Yeah, so the, I mean, just the the betting markets in general, it was not accurate for most of the time. And it was basically smokescreen season turned up all the way. And I think the reason why there was so, so much smokescreen is one, there were some quarterbacks that were going up early and there was a, not a consensus around them necessarily. And more importantly, it looked like at one point it was just all the AFC South teams competing for the same guys with the Texans, the Colts, And I think the Titans were actually involved with some trade talks up uh, to the third overall pick. So I think what was happening was like the Texans were like trying to see if CJ Stroud would have fall down their board so they can trade back up and said they ended up trading way too much draft capital up 
for Will Anderson, but there was like a, a new kind of angle with all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, like that's why I like to watch some of these players because like to me, if I, when I plugged Will Levis into the, my models and when I actually was watching him, I was like, I don't see like a top five overall pick here. And with CJ Stroud, the opposite for me, he was dominant. My models were popping with him and I thought his tape was pretty darn good too. So I wasn't necessarily buying the Will Levis over CJ Stroud steam. Um, but at the end of the day, it all kind of works itself out. Yeah, yeah, it does work itself out. But I also think there is some interesting, maybe it's like too much of a thought exercise as opposed to just saying trust the the NFL draft and what the actual draft selections are telling you. But it is interesting. Like, I do think there was some smoke, some real smoke when it came to the Texas not wanting to take C.J. Stroud with the second pick and it being a defender who they wanted to take, specifically uh, Will Anderson. Uh, that we can believe obviously because we saw them have the choice there and they took that and then the Colts thing with Levis um I I love Jim Irsay because then you can get like maybe a little bit of a window into what's going on you don't know if he's just like you know uh, on a bender or telling the truth necessarily (laughs) but but he said you know maybe we would have drafted Will Levis as he was there and he did say or trade back but I think it's like still trading back with the intention of getting Will Levis. And he put out that tweet where I thought I hacked his account or something. And I was saying that we could take Will double Levis dip. in the second round and right. double up the quarterback. So right. that seems like a pretty strong indication that at least they were high on Will Levis. The other things that wrecked people's mocks were there was information there. And it kind of hits to me too of like, okay, I, I want to be an absolutist on tr- on saying let's let's trust draft position and not trust our opinions. But we we there is noise behind the scene that makes us think maybe we shouldn't be so much of an absolutist about it. Yeah, and the other thing I was looking back and just kind of goes back to like what the NFL thinks versus like consensus draft boards is if you're looking at like Will Levis on rankings, he was always ranked like 18th overall, and like I struggled to find like basically a single person that was like Will Levis is my quarterback one or my quarterback two, he should go top five. Yet we were hearing that all these NFL teams were doing that. Now it's like obviously like, we don't have access to all the information. Like we're gonna m- definitely have some ma- massive misses on the consensus boards, but like. We're getting closer where, like, I don't think that we're going to be ranking a quarterback in consensus rankings, like quarterback 50, that he's going to go top five. So when there was, like, this big of a, a, a difference between the consensus and what we were hearing, that's like, puts my radar up that maybe there's a, a wider range of outcomes than what was led on going before the draft. Yeah, it would have also been interesting if we had, like, a little bit longer of a timeline, what would have happened to some of these consensus big boards. Because I do think consensus big boards... And I look at that versus like the consensus mocks. They are detached somewhat because a lot of people making the big boards are not even necessarily in the mock draft game, but they probably converge somewhat. And from what I heard, and this is with conversations that I've had, I think maybe on this pod and then also just privately with uh, Benjamin Robinson, who does grinding the mocks, he was telling me about the mocks and he said, if you would have taken everyone's mock drafts from a week or two weeks ago, they would have performed a lot better than you had the ones that came out the final week when everyone was buying CJ Stroud falling, when everyone was maybe buying Will Levis being up there. So it was more like this information we were getting in that last week is what threw people off. And maybe that also wasn't being incorporated as much into people's uh, consensus big board expectations. Yeah, my mock draft before literally had Bryce Young one, Texans CJ Stroud two, a trade up for Will Anderson at three for the Texans, and then Anthony Richardson. So I had the nuts then, but then I changed it. And I think another thing is I think the information that comes out a couple months before the draft, like around the NFL Combine, I tend to actually believe that because teams haven't like kind of figured out the like uh, like where the draft board is going to fall with other teams, and they haven't like gone through the mock draft. 
uh, simulations yet, but they're like actually telling people and like, Hey, like, I think this player is pretty good. Like we think that this player is going to be a top 10 overall pick. Um, and then as you get closer, when teams are their their incentives have changed where everyone has their boards kind of locked in stone, but now it's this game of like, okay, can I actually get this guy? Do I have to trade up? Do I have to trade down? All that type of stuff. And I think that's where like the last week, uh, a lot of the smokescreen stuff can definitely happen. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So let's talk now, uh, maybe broadly at first, and then we'll get into some of the different prospects sticking with the skill position. Um, you know, obviously like if someone's good for their career, so from, you know, a dynasty football perspective or just an NFL football perspective, it correlates pretty well to what they're going to do this next season. And, you know, you're, you're in the best ball game. So we want to make sure that we're also cognizant of that. It's like guys who stink as rookies are normally not very good later on in their yes. career anyway. Um, maybe tight ends a little bit of an exception, but it's, it's generally the, the case. So generally now like how are you incorporating the feedback that we got it sounds like a quarterback it was in line with what you may have expected but i assume at wide receiver is probably the one where maybe not maybe not the top tier but some other guys that are moving around a bit there how do you separate like what your opinion was before the draft and what you're seeing because i know for me when i look at the non-skill positions which i'm not you know i'm not grinding tape on nose tackles i'm sorry i'm not uh i'm not <laughs> figuring out you know arm length and all this stuff for these guys i mean it's going in a model so i have my model ideas and then when the draft happens i do this thing where i kind of look at people think that there's great steals going on or reaches going on and i kind of laugh at how silly it is versus the nfl draft but then for guys who i do study i'm like i can't believe jalen hyatt went so late like right. i i view him a lot better than drafts so i make that exact mistake so it's almost like the more you know the more you research the more you can maybe even lead yourself astray not believing in draft position. So how do you think about that? Because you guys really dove into everyone and have mm -hmm. great videos on all the different prospects. Yeah, so when I plug all these players into my model, I always have expected draft capital in there. And then obviously when the draft happens, then I just change that column into the actual draft capital here because I, I think it is kind of silly to like have a model and then like, well, the player's supposed to go in the seventh round. We're like, well, who really cares? Like your model's like, like who is, who is actually helping here? I guess it's like fun for like just an analytics only conversation, but I'm always using the projected draft capital. So with someone like Jalen Hyatt, like my expectations certainly change now where he was drafted, uh, which was like 72nd percentile draft capital. My model still has him in the 87th percentile. So I still think it was a good value, but if he was drafted in the late first round, Jalen Hyatt would be like the 95th percentile in my prospect model. So, I think it matters to some extent. I also think that playing time is highly correlated to draft position. So even if we think that the consensus boards were right, we're we are our own personal evaluations were right. Still, playing time is going to be linked to that, and you see this with secondary contracts as well. Once they get past their rookie deals, so I think it certainly matters. I think draft capital is the most predictive thing for for fantasy purposes and for everything in general. But it's like going into this; it's always been a part of my process. And thankfully, there's only so many rug pulls. Jalen Hyatt was the most infamous one in my opinion when it comes from the rookies though yeah you know even with Hyatt and again this I have to check myself that I'm not just trying to like seek out information <laughs> to confirm my my biases but one of the things I was mentioning in a Peter King article which I thought was at least a little bit interesting again this is more like it hints at the larger scale of how we view these draft positions is for the for the Raiders and uh you know Mark Davis son of Al Davis lover of fast uh wide receivers that they, it mentioned specifically in this article and when they were talking to them that it didn't it didn't it didn't get into great deal detail but it seemed like for their second and third round picks their second round pick being Michael uh Michael Mayer who they took um for tight end 
that they said that Hyatt was the highest was higher on their board, but they did not have a need at wide receiver. So there's also, you know, possibly things mm-hmm. like that, that you, there are some, you know, some guys can fall down because of the need based thing, even in a position like wide receiver, which seems a little bit strange because, you know, everybody kind of needs a, a wide receiver. I feel like um, in the NFL, but at least it's, it's, it's something to, to think about. Okay. So why don't we talk through the different positions here? Uh, maybe start at quarterback. Cause I do think that, with C.J. Stroud, again, I don't want to be too influenced by thinking going into the draft, but going into the draft, and again, I was influenced by these reports, especially with Levis and Stroud. Uh, I kind of had Young in my top tier, not for fantasy. I'd still put Richardson in, in, in my top tier there. Second tier, Richardson. And this is more like a real football take again. So with the with the, with the running value, he would, he would move up. And then I had Stroud and Levis in the third tier, Stroud above Levis. I'd probably move Stroud now up uh, closer to being to where Richardson is. Uh, and then Hooker, you know, we'll, we'll see to be determined what will end up happening there. They're even talking about Jared Goff extension. So it might be more of a, a backup type of role going on there. Did anything coming out of the draft really affect how you had these guys aligned? I think that the landing spots were actually pretty good for the top three quarterbacks, just based off of like if you're comparing these offenses and coaching staffs versus what's typically at the top of the draft. I think it was kind of a win, like starting with Bryce Young. I think that offensive line is pretty good, obviously, on bias with Josh McCown being an underdog uh, content creator. But I think that that coaching staff universally is well. I like the disclaimers spe- being thrown out here. Right. right? As, That's good as, to know. <laughs> especially with uh, just uh, uh, when you're talking about just getting a quarterback ready. It's so much quarterback experience in that coaching staff. Uh, the yeah. wide receiver group for both CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are pretty poor. Anthony Richardson's skill guys, I think, were probably league average at best but the offensive lines look pretty good like cg strauss something that i'm looking at uh is just their left tackle is really good their left guard was a first round pick last year they drafted a second round center this year they get shaq mason who's had a lot of good seasons at right guard and their right tackle was a developmental first round pick going into his fifth year and then we always kind of see this the shanahan tree um usually pretty efficient just calling plays obviously this is a very inexperienced play caller but i think over time cj stroud's in a decent landing spot as long as they can get some wide receivers but when i plugged them into my model i was actually expecting them to be a little bit better cj stroud and bryce young were still like 85th percentile prospects including that capital uh bryce young and cj stroud had good seasons they did not have like joe burrow level seasons last year and then obviously my model is like somewhat impacted by size but once you get to like the complete right tail or left tail outcomes with Bryce Young size, I'm not sure if the model is like fully understanding the range of outcomes that could happen there. So I always like CJ Stroud first, but I thought it was CJ Stroud and Bryce Young uh, with Anthony Richardson in there. And I think that any model is going to be underestimating Anthony Richardson's uh, ability to possibly become like an outlier. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about the level of their season in college. It's some sort of efficiency stat, I assume we're talking about here. Yes, I'm all, I, I use EPA. There's like a couple of different versions of it. Like there's EPA per play. I use passing EPA and rushing EPA. Um, my model is like projecting fantasy points, but fantasy points and like real life points are like very similar. Um, so it's, it's not the only thing I, I use. I, I like to watch all these players, especially the quarterbacks, because someone like Anthony Richardson, like one of my theories I have is like accuracy can be solved. It could also not be solved. I think it really just comes down to what is your background. If you were like always a five-star guy, your, your uncle was in the league and you had, you've done all these quarterback drills and someone's been going through all this stuff. 
I think your accuracy at this point going into the pros is basically what it's going to be. But someone like Josh Allen, who grew up on a farm in the middle of California, went to Wyoming, was not necessarily around like the Palmer Academy or the Manning Academy or any other academy. All of a sudden, I think that his accuracy can improve. And Anthony Richardson was kind of on the same boat throwing COVID and he wasn't a starter there. I think there's a chance that his accuracy can get cleaned up. And I think that the coaching staff uh, in Indy is like perfect for him. Obviously, Shane Sykin comes with Jalen Hurth, but even the quarterback coach was with Kyler Murray. And then previous to that was with Cam Newton. So I think they're going to have a plan there. And I like that the Colts are going to let Anthony Richardson get experience in, in year one, it sounds like, rather than sit. Yeah, I mean, the whole sitting thing in year one, uh, it drives me nuts when teams say they're going to do that uh, explicitly. I'm trying to think. I think the Browns with Baker Mayfield when they brought in Tyrod Taylor, they yep. said, like, we're not going to play him this year. And it's like, come on, guys. Yep. Um, but even so, I do think that's an interesting question to think about for these different quarterbacks. Uh, I guess for me, like how good they are and how good their competition is matters for a week one start. Um, and obviously the draft capital that goes into them, but we're talking about a bunch of top four guys. So I don't know if there's that big of a differentiation. But then once the season starts – it's kind of like how good the team could potentially be with the backup quarterback, no matter how well the backup quarterback is playing or isn't playing. If he's not playing well and they're four and one, people will invent some sort of excuse for yep. why this guy is doing a great job leading the offense. Or if they're one and four, he's he's gone and they're bringing in the rookie no matter what's happening here. So how do you assess those situations? Those are my parameters. Do you have different ideas for how you can look at it? No, I definitely think that wins is like a huge component of that. Uh, obviously, the quality of backup quarterback i think gardner Minshew's like a solid backup quarterback but i don't think shane Steichen took this job trying to get gardner Minshew uh, a bunch of starts here and they already said that they just want <laughs> that he was uh, contingent on that he would not take the job unless he could right. have gardner Minshew he had so over, many opportunities yeah. right uh yeah so with with richardson they already basically said that they want to use him and i think it's the right move i think for the for the team perspective and like will levis would be the perfect example uh with the titans is you want to see if these rookies rookie quarterbacks play immediately because if they are a stone cold disaster, you want to learn that in year one, because you want to get the draft capital back up into the top five. So if I'm the Titans, I'm calling the phone to the Falcons. Let's see what they can get for Ryan Tannehill. And I want to start Will Levis all 17 games. If he's good, awesome. You found a quarterback on a cheap rookie deal, especially his would be extremely cheap. And then if he's really bad, all of a sudden Will Levis just played yourself into the, the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. And maybe if there's a middle ground, getting some of these reps in early is going to help his development. So I'm always on team start these rookie quarterbacks. you got to see what, what, what you can get from them. And sometimes all of a sudden you get Josh Rosen in the Kyler Murray. Yeah. I just don't know how, like how much different teams, and especially we're talking about the Titans here. Although actually, I don't know if the Titans are any worse than anyone else, but think about things probabilistically because while they probably, they, they should be thinking we're not a great playoff team this this year let's say to make the playoffs let me just bring that i was looking at the division first but to make the playoffs here for the titans uh and i'm just looking at DraftKings now uh minus 280 no plus 235 yes it looks like in the division there i mean they are second in the division but you know <laughs> not saying AFC, a whole lot it's yeah. afc south we're talking about but a clear like drop from from the jags to, to where they are this year but like, so, so, so it, like a real, if I was in charge there, I'd say, okay, probably not our year. We want to play Will. We want to figure out who it is, who he is. We want to be in position to figure out who he is because like next year we could be in position to draft another quarterback. 
And when we look at Ryan Tannehill right now, it's $27 million a year if they trade him. What is that worth? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they'll get something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no guaranteed money. So, like, they're gonna, they'll take some dead money uh, on this on this but deal. That's fine. Take, they're not competing this year. This yeah, yeah. There's matter. nowhere to spend it, right? They're already they're already in, right? They're not gonna. They're gonna, you're not gonna find a lot of great free agents right now. Anyway, you roll it over to next year. So, I think even a cut, a release, might actually be first. So maybe like if you can't really trade him for anything but a sixth or seventh round pick, maybe holding him for a while and just getting some idea of who Will Levis is right. before you just go ahead and pull the plug and cut him. But to me, that makes a ton, a ton of sense. And then I start thinking about, okay, if that makes a ton of sense, like let's start looking at, you know, Will Levis rookie of the year odds or just weird things like that, or betting unders on how well Tennessee's going to do this year because Tannehill, for whatever you say about him, like his median outcomes a lot better than a Will Levis sort of outcome. Am I, am I going in the right direction there? Do you think? I completely agree with everything you said. And I think that the Titans are a perfect example. It's a first year uh, GM. So I think he has a long list. I think it sounds like a six year contract, which I do like long time horizons for GMs. So yeah. They can actually make the correct moves. And then Mike Vrabel, I don't think even if they have the worst season, they finish three and 14. Mike Vrabel is not going anywhere. He's universally viewed as one of the better coaches in the league. He's had a lot of success. I think carried a lot of rosters uh, beyond what their talent would indicate. So I think even Mike Vrabel can look at the situation and be like, look, this roster is not in great shape right now. If we have to go get Caleb Williams and tank this season, I think that Mike Vrabel's uh, coach, uh, his hot seat is definitely pretty cold relative some, to some other coaches. So I think the Titans would be the perfect team to, to do this. And maybe Mike Rabel and Rand Carthon are forward thinking enough um, and have a long time horizon here to actually play this through. But I would love to see Ryan Tannehill with the Falcons. Uh, that's kind of maybe a fantasy take because Drake London and Kyle Pitts are tied to Desmond Ritter, who's maybe promising, but is also at the same time a third round pick. And the Falcons chose multiple other players before they took Desmond Ritter. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, no, I, no, I personally want to see Ryan Tannehill to the Falcons so I can get frustrated and tilted and yell at people when they say Bijan has made them so much better because Tannehill's in there being efficient and making and making the team better a la uh, Derrick Henry. Although Derrick Henry's a stud, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, actually, I'm even thinking more. Now, now I'm probably going way too far. I'm being overconfident here. But also when it comes to Vrabel, right, he just won, and I wouldn't even say it's much of a power struggle. It just sounded like a straight-up uh, knockout yes. of John Robinson, right. who was gone just in December. And I think when a coach who has so much, like, kind of strength within the organization, you know, head coach of the year, respected guy, um, Super Bowl champion as a player, all that sort of stuff, when he's there and they select a GM, I kind of think that GM is – you know, the, the rank ordering of who's in charge makes a lot of sense. So it would shock me if he wasn't like down with Will Levis, basically, as the pick and down with making this, you know, transition away from Ryan Tannehill. And if that's the case, again, that would like give even more substance to the case of let's go ahead and make this transition now. There were some reports that Rabel was calling teams about Ryan Tannehill. And I'm not <laughs> sure if he got a bunch of feedback from that that he was actually hearing. But it's it's true. They could hold Ryan Tannehill out a little bit, see if there's an injury that suddenly happens where a team has to go trade for him or something like that. But I can see even a, a downright release for him. And I think it'd be good for the team. Flush it out. And for us, like... I've seen Ryan Tannehill with the Titans plenty of times. I don't I don't get juiced up when they throw up that AFC South matchup on Thursday night football. If it's Will Levis, I'd like to see the chaos. 
I mean, Levis can move a little bit too. I feel he like yeah. he's not exactly, uh, you know, a pocket sloth as, as mm-hmm. Evan Silva would like to say about him. Um, you don't get juiced up when Tannehill does the finger roll celebration after he, after he steals a touchdown from Derrick Henry on the goal line. It, I guess it just depends how much Derrick Henry you have, if you're rooting <laughs> for that or not, because the slates can definitely flip on your head, uh, depending on a couple touchdowns. From- okay. Okay. So let's, um, is there any like, way that Bryce Young would not be starting week one. And when it comes to Young, like, yeah, the receiver situation is pretty bad. You know, DJ Chark could be okay. Adam Thielen, you know, it's like, who knows? That's <laughs> that a there. big contract for Thielen. Yeah, that's a weird contract. I think the offensive line last year, it was kind of a talking point that they had rebuilt it. You know, maybe it's one of those like year two effects for the fact that they had rebuilt it. The defense has been good. Oh, okay. The last couple of seasons when they're not playing from way behind, when they're playing from way behind, teams would just, especially two years ago, just completely destroyed them on the ground. So, like, I feel like the Panthers may be, like, my sneaky team. I was thinking about this as having a chance to even win the division if, you know, Desmond Ritter is what people think is going to be the, mm-hmm. the Falcons coach. But actually, the markets are not that far off from me. They're less than a win differential in in wins. They're a little bit lower in their divisional odds, but not that far, but not many people are really talking about the Panthers in a totally wide open NFC South. I, I agree. Their defense is pretty strong. Their offensive line is fine enough. And then just basically what's your evaluation of Bryce Young? I really struggle with Bryce Young. Like I thought he was fantastic at Alabama. Like the stats were good as well. His playmaking is undeniable. It to me, is just like, all right, how is this going to translate? Like if he is going to be winning in the pocket, moving back and forth, kind of like how Mahomes plays, well, that's where the biggest guys are, and that's where he's going to be inviting hits. And I think that there are some times where Bryce Young was inviting pressure. But I think that that division is definitely wide open. I will throw out the Saints. The Saints are definitely all in right now with, with Derek Carr. Oh, yeah, and- I think they're leading the odds. So they are leading the odds over the other guys. But I was thinking more about that because a lot of people are mm-hmm. – like the Falcons thing, obviously we're all laughing. And we're not laughing. We're all commenting on the Bijan Robinson pick. But there are a lot of people I've said are like, I think they could they could win the division. So I was thinking about them because I don't hear anyone saying a similar right. thing about the Panthers right now. No, I definitely think that's well within the range of outcomes. Bryce Young, some people thought that he was like very, very, very good uh, quarterback prospect. I didn't necessarily see that, but I think it's within the range of outcomes. Like it just basically, if is this playmaking ability with like, I, I would say below average arm strength and like, average nfl athleticism is he going to still be able to make the same amount of plays when the windows just get a little bit tighter if yes now we have somebody that can read defenses pre-snap and post-snap and make plays it's just is he going to actually be able to do when the windows get tighter we'll see yeah yeah i think the problem with the short these these uh these tiny guys is like we flip all the way around from saying you can't be a short quarterback. And then we had Baker have rookie success and Kyler have some early success. And it was like, oh, height doesn't matter. And now they're not like at the peak of their perception. So now height matters. And like, obviously it matters. Like it's (laughs) being tall and being a quarterback, (laughs) you know, it matters. Um, Don't give me your batted passes stats and try to tell me that. (laughs) I hate the batted passes because like, that's not what this is actually about. Like if a a quarterback's dropping back super far and he's late on reads, throw the ball far enough then that's when the quarterback we're defying all laws of fit like like the hand being higher in the air is not yeah. actually better at throwing it over tall people that's what people are trying to tell me here thanks guys um, i love when we go back to stats where we're like cherry picking what a sample size of what there's four batted passes versus three <laughs> like i mean come on yeah they'll be like justin herbert is actually yeah that's because he's very very tall and he can yes. he thinks he's gonna be he can see over the guys and try to throw it over it um but you know what i talk about is something that's that's really 
interesting that I think from the Panthers perspective, I'm, I'm assuming they were all on board with Bryce Young, but I think this is one of the dumber things when they claim, and I've seen multiple teams do this, that they go through like the entire process and then two weeks before the draft, they get together to say, okay, we never talked to each other about who we like. Like imagine if they didn't like the same people, it'd be fucking yeah. chaos, right? I'm guessing that the coaching staff liked CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. I think everyone yeah. did. And I think that the ownership in general, and maybe even the general manager comes from a baseball background, probably really loved this S2 test. They're kind of used to this stuff. And yeah. then at the end of the day, the coaching staff was like, we'll take Bryce Young. We're okay with that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually liked CJ Stroud more, but I think that it was just a one, a one B situation. And then ownership just felt more comfortable with Bryce. Yeah, yeah. Team, stop doing this. Stop doing this nonsense where you wait until the very end to say something. Because even Fritterer, when he was talking about it, he was saying he 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 said something about like dropping hints potentially. Can you imagine? Like they're not talking to each other and they're watching CJ Stroud tape. And Fritterer's like, oh my God, this guy stinks. But I don't, but we're not telling opinions yet. And then they're yeah. watching Bryce Young and he's just like getting up and applauding every single play. He's like, but we're not going to discuss this until, until a week before the draft. How does your human instinct just not get curious about this? Like, I couldn't even imagine even just like talking to Josh Norris. Like, I need to know his player takes immediately. Yeah. If I had everything on the line, I, I would be talking about this. Stuff. You see this all the time where like uh, the coaches like don't know like how the rehabs are going for their star players. Like, oh, I haven't talked to them in a couple months. Like, if I was like coaching Kyler Murray or whoever it is, like, I feel like I would be getting injury updates, rehab updates like every single day. It's like basically your whole livelihood is attached to some of these players, but they do a very good job of like segmenting this thing out. Maybe it's actually good for their mental health. To know Maybe I, mean, I, I can see ownership, right? Like, cause all that matters at the end of the day, when you have these power struggles is whoever, whoever is the closest to, to ownership at the end. So maybe that's someone you don't want to go against, but as long as you're not a dick about it, like I don't see how that can, how, how that can really hurt what, what's going on here. Um, okay. So we talked about, we kind of did Richardson young Stroud. Is there any chance that he won't be starting week one? I mean, I guess there, there's always some chance, but I guess the more interesting question for him, and this is something that, that rich rebar said, which I think I believe is that hey everybody, this was a free version of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpectedpts at gmail.com, send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack, or hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. Let me know that you're experiencing some you know, financial hardship at this point. I will give you a no questions asked six-month subscription to the pod. You can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content. Thank you so much for listening. And more content coming your way next week.